0: You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in
1: episode 522, The Life and Death of Brian Jones, The Beatles and the Let It Be Remixes, and
0: It's War, Malcolm and Wise versus Monty Python. That's all coming up after The Cosmic Rough Riders and Revolution in the Summer
2: show any time What we
0: Still a going concern as Daniel Wiley's Cosmic Rough Riders Mm. and with a new album out this summer. But this from their wonderful album in 2000, Enjoy the Melodic Sunshine. Um, As a single, it reached number 35 in the UK, Cosmic Rough Riders and Revolution in the Summertime.
1: I will never understand why that didn't do better in the UK. It still gets occasional pick up on radio, too, I think. Um, right. I I love that. I think it's great. I, I wish the British public were better than they were. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Welcome to Parish Council episode 522. I'm Terence Stackham and speaking words of wisdom, it's Juliet Harris.
1: <laughs> I mean, you know, that will be, remain to be seen. Yes. My previous track record ain't great. But anyway, let's see what <laughs> happens. Hi, everyone. Um
0: Louis Brian Hopkins Jones, who was born Mm -hmm. in 1942, died in 1969. Brian Jones, of course. I suspect his name, it may not mean a great deal at all to today's young music lover. But of course, he was the founder and at least in his own eyes, the original leader of the Rolling Stones. It's possible that since 1969, myth has overcome reality. Back in the 60s, it didn't really feel like Mm. the Stones were Brian Jones's band. Jagger in particular, of course, was so fascinating as a singer and a character that he became the real focus. But Brian Jones and particularly his life from 1962 to 1969, has long held an aura of mystery and intrigue. And this week on Netflix, we watched Rolling Stone, Life and Death of Brian Jones. Uh, Jules, did the establishment break a butterfly on a wheel?
1: I found this. I mean, I think you've just summed up my big question mm. in in that, you know, what did it feel like at the time? Was Brian Jones really seen as this incredible figure at the time? Because no. when you when you saw it, when it sort of began, there are quite a lot of the, the Talking Heads. I mean, they were all male, which I found a little bit of a switch off. I must admit, compared to some of the other documentaries we've seen, where we've had a, a real mm. range of contributors, it was just. I'm, I'm sorry to say this. You know, do feel free to write in and send me abuse, but it was just old man after old man, really. And I, I didn't get a lot of. There were a couple of women that popped up, in fairness, and there, there were, there was, a, there were a couple of women of colour as well. So I will caveat that slightly, but there were lots of people that like you say it was very much all oh, you know Brian was huge and you know he was such an influence and he was this ultimate rock star and all this kind of stuff and i just thought really i mean that was that was my kind of view really that i just i felt like i would been cornered in a pub by the sort of the pub bore that was telling me all about how amazing this thing was and i i i mean i i found i found the whole thing very sad actually and also not that not that, I, I felt that this was much longer than it needed to be. It was an hour and a half long, slightly over an hour and a half long, and I have to confess, I did actually doze off for 10 minutes towards the end, which is fair, and, I'd, and I wasn't, I was tired, I'd just woken up, I was watching it with coffee, and I still managed to doze off for a bit, which is not perhaps a great endorsement. Um I, I, I mean, we were told, it made a lot more sense when you were told about Brian Jones's upbringing, which sounded really tragic and really awful his the the parents had lost a daughter and then they had another female child who they just put all of their energy and attention into um and and you know to the the expense of of poor brian who sounds like he had a very unhappy childhood that seemed to turn him into a very cruel and unpleasant adult Mm -hmm. at times and some of the stories that were told and i just i just found this really difficult i just i didn't particularly like him From the way he was presented and it felt like the more they kind of mythologized him the more that switched me off really and i i usually when we watch these these i mean you often joke bless you that most of the stuff that we watch and most of the songs and stuff you quiz me on was literally before my time i wasn't born Mm -hmm. when most of this was going on and usually that doesn't feel relevant to me i usually i just you know i i get sucked in like the the woodstock stuff we watched and and you know the 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 Bee Gees thing. Usually I just it doesn't matter. I'm really in it. And this just made me feel like I wasn't there and and that I just wasn't. I just felt, well, there's just I'm just not buying this. And this really is before my time and I'm just not really picking up. You know what this was like. I mean, it, I suppose it doesn't really help that I don't have the emotional attachment to the mm. Rolling Stones that I do with the Beatles. So I do get that. That although I thought they were really good, I'm I'm a bit more uh, sort of one one step uh, behind what's going on, but I, I found this to be rather sad, I found it to be a rather sorry tale, I, I there seemed to be that, that, that the bad times very much outweighed the good mm. as far as, I didn't find the rock and roll behaviour to be particularly interesting I found it to be a bit boring and a bit tragic really so, I mean, I, I don't know the talking heads, I suppose most of them were sort of there at the time, I guess but I didn't feel that they added very much and I felt there was, there was not particularly the people that knew in person, there was an awful lot of excuse making and apologies for brian and yeah it it, it, the whole thing left me a bit cold and a bit sad i must admit it started
0: off the 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 premise started Mm. off with um one hand behind its back because of course they couldn't secure the rights to the music yes and also no current members of the stones participated so that didn't help i I didn't feel as badly about it as you. I thought that they brought together so many key players from childhood Mm. friends, contemporaries. I know they're all old white men, but I guess that's the people he was circulating all the time. Uh, Some of these people did have pivotal roles uh, like Mm. Keith Autumn, Jared Mankiewicz, Prince Stash. Yeah. And also I thought, well done for finding these archive interviews with... Alexis Cornery and Stuart yes. and I thought most movingly Brian Jones's father who was also named yes. Lewis Jones but once again we found the lifestyle of drugs and in jones's case particularly booze mm. showed the heavy toll in 1963 yeah, he, looked he was awful, a pretty and articulate 21 year old but four years later 1967 he had this big puffy face huge bags he under his awful, eyes
1: and, didn't he yeah. yeah he
0: could barely function but um, yeah look, i think r- rather like you on the man i mean sadly the overarching opinion that i came out with and I, I think it's hard to see him otherwise is that brian jones seemed like a horrid person to know he didn't
1: uh, pleasant did
0: he had no self-restraint to a discipline at all, too much of a free spirit. Six children by six different women by the time he died I mean, at 27. I mean, he, That's gruesome. He,
1: he had three illegitimate children by the time he was 19. Yes. And you just, I mean, I, I found that just so, I mean, I think it said a lot, it said good things about the character of the other Rolling Stones, that they allowed the announcement to be that he'd left rather than he'd mm. been fired for being a complete liability. I think that was rather... Kind of them, really, given the circumstances
0: yes uh that's 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 true, particularly for the time as well and the theory put forward about his death actually being a murder was I found that right, quite compelling. that may have been a mm. bit where you dropped off, I don't know, but I was certainly persuaded um by the by the theories put forward about yes that, was there was
1: certainly something afoot, wasn't there, really? It was very strange I
0: found it, I have to say unlike you, I did find it quite absorbing and fascinating, oh, okay. fair enough um the sort of over-the-top existence of a of a pop star in the 1960s. So, yeah, kind of recommended by me, less, less so by, by I, yourself. I, I
1: mean, it may, it may well be perhaps the fact that you were there at the time. Mm. Unusually, I, I don't usually feel this way, but maybe no. if you were there at the time, that might make a bit more sense, really. I'm not sure. I mean, it, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was entirely without merit. So mm. I think if you're interested in that sort of thing, it's worth a watch, I would probably say. Um, I also thought it was quite sweet. Being, I, I enjoyed the bit where they showed his house in Hartfield in Sussex, Mm. I had not realised that it previously belonged to A.A. Milne, that was quite interesting, and uh, and that the swimming pool was there already, I thought he might have had it built, but Mm. no, A.A. Milne had a swimming pool, which was quite quite an interesting uh, tidbit for me, but I think that um, what was quite sweet and what I did like was the fact that the when, you know, Rockstar moves into the village of Hartfield and rather than everyone going a bit pitchfork, um, they they were the, the residents mm. of Hartfield really embraced him and, and sort of took him in as one of their own. And I, I found that quite sweet, actually, I must admit. If you
0: wish, you can make up your own mind. This is on Netflix. It's called Rolling Stone, Life and Death of Brian Jones, directed by Danny Garcia. Coming up next, the latest Beatles album to get the deluxe reissue treatment. That's right after Besnard Lakes.
1: go now, Mojo Magazine, which I still subscribe. It's still worth a read, I would very much say. As one of my friends that is a writer for it said at the start of the pandemic, use it or lose it. So it is available for subscription. Um, they did a a series of I think it must have gone on over about a couple of years of looking at each Beatles album individually in sequence and there'd be like a cover and the cover mount CD was each time they would call whatever it was reimagined and they would get various sort of bands at Mojo rated of the day to cover each of the tracks in order and this was taken from the, the Let It Be album which I thought has some particularly good versions on it and I really love that it, it's almost approaching for me Beatles covers that I might like as much if not a little bit more than the original i love the dreaminess of that i think it works really well that's the besnard lakes doing i've got a feeling very
0: often these tribute albums are are anything but though Mm. if that superb version I really like that. It's the only thing to go by. I must listen to more of this album. I see that it's got, I haven't heard it, it's got John Grant doing Two of Us. Yes, uh, Beth that is Orton, lovely. Judy oh, Collins she's great. doing Long and Winding Road. I look forward to listening to that. There's it looks like a good songs. venture.
1: And actually, yeah. mo- most of them, the the things that they did, the White Album ones are particularly good as well, mm. I think. It's, it's a series that is worth investigating. Mm. Well,
0: it's been quite a year for followers, uh, fans of the Beatles, McCartney mm, 321, The Beatles in India, All Things Must Pass, Book of McCartney's Lyrics, and uh, of course we have the six-hour Peter Jackson series of the making Mm. of Let It Be coming up in November. Now, um, released on October the 15th, the album Let It Be Special Deluxe Edition Mm. on CD, vinyl and digital. It's 57 tracks, including a new Giles Martin uh, stereo mix, plus Mm. outtakes, rehearsals and jibber-jabber. Glyn John's original mix when the album was to be called Get Back. There's a book. There's a lot there. When the... When the album was originally released in the summer Mm. of 1970, I was lucky enough to pick up an early copy that came with a 160-page book and now worth a fortune on your and whatnot. It was largely of photos, but also some quotes from the movie and everything. But I do remember strongly that in 1970 there was a feeling, uh, I've got a feeling, um, that that, uh, let it be, uh, the album, was rather flimsy as an LP mm. an album. There was the silly short editions of Dig It and Maggie Mae. Yes. Both of George's songs were not from his top drawer, and I mean mine, bit um, mm. a bit maudlin. It just felt a bit like... The Beth
1: version of that finds something new I, in it, by the lo-
0: way, I would look say. look hearing mm. that really well. Yeah, George, we've been listening to these new mixes and the, the Glyn Johns production. After 51 years, I mean, can we look back kindly on Let It Be?
1: I think we possibly can, actually. I very much enjoyed this. Um, The thing that I liked about it was... Um firstly I think it is it's a, it's a truth universally accepted that Phil Spector's production on this is total toilet. So basically anybody producing this is going to be less irritating than the than the Phil Spector versions. Um I I thought what was interesting about the the sort of the get back reimagining of this is that the track listing is slightly different. Yes. And it makes much more sense I think as a sequence the way that it's been done. Um to have the long and winding road. I can't understand why the LP never finished with the long and winding road. I don't under I mean I know there's a little bit of a get back reprise, but that makes sense really, I think, in a way that you've got Sergeant Pepper doing the reprise at the end as well. I think I think that makes really good sense. So the sequencing is is much improved, I think, and, and makes the record make more sense. Not least because there's a there's extra additions, rocker is included on this, for example, which wasn't on the original LP. And I I like it but and there are a few other sort of sketches that are included and I like it because because you've stripped off all the fussy production, the kind of the slight sketches and the mucking about makes a bit more sense because the whole thing sounds a bit looser to me. And I don't know if I'm looking at this through the eyes of someone that's mm. recently been around Abbey Road, which of course is going to change mm. my perspective on Beatles stuff forever, I sense. But it felt a little bit more like we were in the room with them, really. And that, and that sounded a lot more fun. And I think when, when the, the Get Back Making documentary does come out, um, the complaint from the Beatles about the original Let It Be film that we've discussed previously on the podcast was that it didn't make it look much fun. And actually, they said they did have quite a lot of fun during those sessions in amongst, Mm. you know, the, the breakdown of relationships. And I felt that the sense of fun that was had came across better on this sort of get back version. I really liked the production. I thought it was it was much It was much more organic. It gave them space to breathe that I don't think the previous production did have. Um, I very much enjoyed it. It made me like the album more. I'm going through a phase of reappraising Beatles albums at the moment anyway. I I enjoyed Magical Mystery Tour much more than I thought I would when I listened to it last night. And I feel a little bit the same about this read. The fact that it's been shuffled about a bit it has a better thread to it for me i think i wouldn't i still wouldn't say that it's you know one of their stol- solid no. gold classics but having said that I, you know, I, th- I think the 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 production being looser and, and, you know, getting the little snippets of them mucking around in the studio makes more sense to me now, I think, because that proves you had this kind of jarring kind of switch between, you know, the ridiculous, overly wrought long and winding road with all the strings on the top that really didn't need to be there and all that kind of saccharine Disney stuff rubbing up against, as you say, short sort of sketches of that were very unfinished. It, it put it back into a better context, I think, and so I think this is a a better swing at the album than the original. And it's not often I would say that, but I I, I prefer it in, to consume it in this way. I think
0: my heart went out to Giles Martin rather this week. I read yes. an interview. I read an interview in which he says, uh, "quote My life doesn't actually revolve around the Beatles. <laughs> it's just that it's the only thing I end up being interviewed about." Yes, Paul. Yes, exactly. He sort of walks around with a giant mm. ele- elephant in the in the room wherever mm. he goes, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, I really love these new mixes too, and in particular, I enjoyed the full Glyn Johns album, which I'd never heard before at all. Mm. I believe it's I been hadn't. sort of bootlegged or whatever. I'd never heard it. Um, generally, the, the the mixes are beautifully clear, and oh yeah, with, with um, as often on these mixes, the clarity reinforcing. What a fantastic bass player Paul McCartney. Yes. Is.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's, as the Americans would put it, the most valuable player. He's the MVP, really. I think his, really because, is. you know, perhaps his unfortunate aspects of his 80s, Frog Song, etc., yeah. means that his, his, you know, really virtuoso musicianship is often completely ignored. And, yeah, I agree with you. It's lovely to hear his brilliant, brilliant bass playing just come into them. I mean, it drove them along, really, I mm. think.
0: And, and often playing bass as a sort of another lead instrument mm. as well, which I think is is, is wonderful. Yeah, and oh, oh, and also what a great addition Billy Preston was yes. to these sessions. Yes. Uh, not only for his playing, but his sort of cheerfulness seems to have uplifted the whole yes.
1: thing. Yes, I think again he was a, a he's an underrated sort of player, and and it, yeah, I think that's a really good point. Not least because the idea of get back so Billy Preston of course was someone that they came across in Hamburg I think and he was and of course you know my bonnie there they they played with him on that didn't they right at the start of their careers and yes like you say you get the impression that their old friend coming back into their lives got them back to the sort of where they were originally which is why it's quite fun that you've got things like teddy boy and and, and one over 909 and rocker on it because you get the impression they were sort of having fun again like they did when they were a gang in the olden days and their their old friend coming back and reminding them of those times is actually quite moving isn't it really if you think about it
0: good point back in may 1970 let it be with the book retailed at two pounds (laughs) 19 shillings and 11 pence which was a fortune at the time was
1: it was it yeah i suppose
0: Mm -hmm. so um in 2021 this deluxe edition will set you back 109 (gasps) pounds 99
1: wow wow Um, well that'd be interesting to see if if you if you worked it back whether or not it has in how much (laughs) it has it increased in value compared to what true. that meant at the time if that's too
0: much of a stretch it will be available on streaming services mm. as well uh, yep. so let it be super deluxe is released on october 15th 2021 coming up next it's the big fight A metaphorical punch-up between um, Morecambe and Wise (laughs) and Monty Python. I mean, words
1: (laughs) we never thought we'd say.
0: (laughs) That's right after from the new Let It Be edition and from the rooftop in Savile Row, The Beatles. on a freezing cold day 30th of January 1969 at 3 Savile Row London um, now released his first rooftop performance The Beatles and Billy Preston from the new Deluxe remixes and Don't Let Me Down mm. well We know it's very unlike the media to create a ballyhoo out of very little. Um, But this week, a TV interview with Morecambe and Wise was discovered from 1973, where they were asked about the relatively new comedy of Monty Python's Mm. Flying Circus. I say relatively new as Monty Python had already been on TV in the UK since 1969. So Mm. four years. Yeah. But I'm guessing the interviewer thought he'd take his chance Yes. And asked what were then considered veterans, their view on the new mm. upstarts. And of course, this was to be repeated about 15 years later when people like Bob Monkhouse and Frankie Howard were yes. asked about what they made of Ben Elton. and the Yeah, young absolutely. Ones so yeah. From this uh, Malcolm and Wise interview, I found the most interesting clip is is when Ernie describes Monty Python as a few minutes of very funny, followed by eight minutes of boredom. Um, <laughs> and this week, Michael Palin said he was, quote, a little hurt. Um, (laughs) But did Ernie have a point, do you think, Jules?
1: Well, firstly, can I just say how delighted I was that this footage has resurfaced because it was taken from Nexus, which was the TV station for the University of East Anglia, which was Your my alma mater. mater. Yes, indeed. So my alma mater as Morrissey put it. So uh, so yes, delighted for them. Um, I hadn't realised that Nexus so it was Nexus when I was there. So so which was 2002, 2005. So I'm delighted that it kind of kept its brand yeah. and I'm really pleased to them. Um, I, I think they got a point. Although actually interestingly, I thought it was it was quite it was so so that the full quote, Ernie Wise wasn't all completely damning yeah. about them, but it was mostly damning. Eric Morcombe said that he liked the opening and the finish. It's the bit in the middle that I don't like. Which is <laughs> pure Eric Morcombe, I think. And Ernie Wise said at the times there's five or six minutes of utter boredom. And then there's three minutes of very funny and then another eight minutes of boredom. And I like Miguel, uh, Morecambe Morcom and it says in a tailed robe and holding holding a large cigar yes if you don't want if you don't if you needed a little bit more indication of how establishment they were at that point that's it says the way i feel about it is that's it that's what they give you for want of a better expression is university comedy or college comedy or whatever you want to call it and that's what they give you and i'm afraid a lot of this is very unprofessional and this irritates me making a me being a professional but what does make me laugh really makes me laugh and what doesn't make me laugh bores me stiff i think it says Really good things, actually, about Michael Palin, that although he confessed to be a little hurt, his overall sort of comments, I think, show, show what a grace, gracious man he is, I think, and how sort of, unlike perhaps the behaviour of some of his fellow Pythons in recent mm. year, I find him to be very measured and quite thoughtful. And he said, and this is true. He said, he told the BBC it was quite unusual for comedians to comment so directly on each other at the time. People in the same sort of business were very careful about what they said about somebody else, he said. It was quite nice that they just relaxed. And it's most interesting what they say, because I think it's what they meant. It didn't seem particularly savage. But on the other hand, it was very clear what they felt. And I thought that was a an interesting take on it, particularly as, you know, as delighted as I am for Nexus. It was a student university <laughs> station, wasn't it? So I guess yeah. they felt, well, no one's probably going to see this in the scheme of things so quite quite a coup albeit 40 years later 50 years later for the for the people that, that did the filming I'd, I'm probably on the side of Morecambe and Wise I think in this and and again it, it's interesting that uh, the theme that links back to what I was saying at the start about stuff being before before my time both of them were before my time having said that I I do enjoy some I'm more and watch the Mighty Python films than I have the TV program, so I'm more familiar with those. Which I, I do like the films, but. Morecambe and Wise although it was before my time I will just watch them every time they're on TV which on BBC2 is very frequently particularly at Christmas but yeah. Um, but yeah I'm I love them I just love them I think they're brilliant I would choose them personally over Monty Python every single time mm. I I think it's interesting the idea of it being university comedy and professional unprofessional it really does show I think a generation gap even more so than when you have people like like, uh, Monkhouse and co commenting on Ben Elton. It really does show a changing of the guard doesn't it? And a changing Mm. of the kind of the idea of what comedy is and how people were. And they were sort of like the last bastions of the formal era weren't they really? And you could say that there was even more of a a gear shift change when all the new sort of comedy of the 80s and the 90s came in really. I, I find it really interesting that there is that kind of generational thing of whether or not you take things seriously and whether or not you are professional i do prefer morgan wise to monty python i think it's very interesting that this has resurfaced now although i love michael palin and i do like the measured way in which he's dealt with it
0: yes yes a, a very gentlemanly response yes. um, we, we sometimes tend to look back on old comedy shows on the basis of short clips or maybe youtube or more likely yeah on- Clip shows on television. And so we see what Ernie Wise described as the few minutes of very funny. Yes,
1: yeah, true.
0: What, what I know is, is that if I was forced to choose uh, between an hour of Monty Python and an hour of Eric and Ernie, Morkham and Wise win every time because their shows were tightly written and rehearsed mm. and performed by two masters of the craft. who F- knew they by were Eddie
1: Braben, Braben as well. Yeah, and
0: of I'm course. Thinking, yes. Yeah. And, and what, what, you know, and what made them laugh? And so on. Monty mm. Python had truly inspired moments but really it was posh university blokes trying Mm. out material and at times there was plenty of filler in there and often rather lazy it was half considered um unfinished sketches and there was often a feeling if in doubt put graham chapman in a dress or throw in an unfunny Terry Gilliam cartoon with a wave of canned laughter. So, mm. I mean, Monty Python did have some brilliant sketches, but Morecambe and Wise were consistently outstanding. I think.
1: Yeah, no, I completely agree.
0: Thanks very much for listening this week.
1: Good to Yes, you I, on. I very much support my, uh, my esteemed colleague's sentiments on this, on this account.
0: And uh, Juliet, if people would just, uh, are just aching to hear more <laughs> of, of yourself. Here's how they can do so
1: absolutely yes bless you my child as always yes if you wish if you wish to hear a little bit more me and a lot more records i think that's the the ratio of me to records is very much in favor of the records and that cannot be a bad thing is smooth sailing 7 to 9 p.m on mixta.com rcom forward slash juliet harris or search for juliet harris um, on the site to find me um find my page we go live 7 to 9 on sunday evenings doing a mix of yacht rock uh, easy listening all that kind of music um mor that you sort of you might not admit to liking and it might not be the coolest thing in the world but it is a lot of fun um if you click the show reel button on my page you can catch up with shows passing
0: i'm so ple- pleased you've picked this last track for us because we're, we're playing out essentially with another of my favorite bands of the 2000s
1: excellent i'm pleased about that yeah it was <laughs> it was a we love record stores day yesterday which was somewhat uh somewhat scuppered by what we're meant to still be calling supply chain issues Uh, read into that what you will but anyway quite a lot of the stock that was meant to be available wasn't but this was and I was able to pick this up which is great because I was when I'd seen the list I really really wanted this so I'm really pleased I was able to get a copy like you say love the go team they're from Brighton originally so fairly local to me so I've seen them a few times I saw them at a festival at Latitude in 2008 in which they came onto stage having been you know amongst some fairly sort of whitish indie bands Uh, their lead singer a marvellous woman called ninja just bouncing mm. across the stage and rapping and spitting rhymes, being incredible and whipping the crowd up they were so good and um, I love this whole record I think it's brilliant it's from thunder lightning strike which was the record that was re-released uh, yesterday for uh, we love record stores day it's just such a riot this record it's so fun I think and so full of spirit but it's got a lot of heart to it as well I think and this is I thought I'd pick this to close this out because I, 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 you know, we're not living in hugely optimistic times in Britain. It feels like at the moment, it feels like everything doesn't quite work properly, and um, and it's it's you know I I'm finding things a bit bumpy at times at the moment. But I found this a very um, uplifting tune to sort of go out on and to you know make us feel that perhaps not all is quite lost. So this is the sunny Technicolor fun of the Go Team, and we just won't be defeated. Listening to a Parish Council production.
2: What do you think of it so far? Rubbish!